want to thank Jason Hubner for um, filling in last week for me. Um, well done. And I guess in light of Advent, I do need to say one thing. In the Advent wreath, the three candles, I don't know if you can tell, they're purple. They represent the suffering of Jesus. Um, if there's anybody here who loves purple, um, they're suffering down in Fort Worth uh, today. You know what I'm talking about. We're excited for you. Um, turn to Jeremiah 29. That's going to be our text today. Our text today. Um, we are in Advent season, and if you weren't here last week, something we've been doing here at the church um, for several years that I really believe in is this, this thing called the Advent Conspiracy, that we commit as a body to worship fully, to spend less, to give more, and to love all, and a commitment to understanding that that the consumer of our, consumerism of our culture can undermine the message of Jesus, not only to us, but especially to our children. And so we commit to like, we're not just going to make it all about gifts, but we're going to make it about, you know, actually giving a little bit less so that we can give more to people who are in need in some form. And we always ask you to join us on that journey. There's lots of ways you can do it. There are sheets in the back on the way out, if you didn't get one last week, that give you some ways that you can... Um, that you can be in, involved in some way, in, in giving life in some way. And so encourage you to check that out. Um, and, you know, the season's all about restoration, restoration of relationship with God through Jesus coming. And the worship's been that. This, this morning, the text we're going to look at is that. I love in those songs we sang that we proclaim and worship the Lord because He brings life to barren places. We sang that there's no ruins that his love won't make new because it's in his nature. I just love those words. And the song that Melissa, Sarah, Kylie wrote, they talk about the God of restoration and the, the plea for him to restore creation and that in your shalom we believe, so let us be moved. And that really is what this morning is about, is looking at our work through the lens of restoration. And so that is my prayer uh, this morning is that we would all be moved to be a part of what God is doing um, in His creation in that regard. So we are going to be uh, in Jeremiah 29. We're, we're continuing that series that, um, that your work matters, and we're trying to connect our work to God's work. And we're doing this series because I am convinced that one of the primary works of the church is the church at work, that what you do at work is extremely significant, and I want us all leaving with that conviction. So we spent the first three weeks, we actually spent four weeks in Genesis 1 and 2. Isn't God's Word amazing, how the, the depth and the riches that are in the Word of God that speak to our work? Um, the first three weeks, we're laying a theological foundation so we have a biblical view and understanding of work. And then last week, or two weeks ago, I started a, three weeks of really wanting to get practical and give us a metaphor out of the Bible of a way for us to think about work that we can concretely apply at work. Um, two weeks ago was that first metaphor. This is a test, or two, yeah, I guess it was two weeks ago. See if you remember, what was that first metaphor that we got out of Scripture? To see myself as a, right, as a gardener. Good job, to see myself as a gardener. Um, and if you remember that that work of gardening, the work of God in creation, their work, our work is all about taking, you know, the chaos that's around me, trying to bring order to it by taking the, the resources available of God's creation the things that are already available to me, and I reorder them in some way to bring flourishing to people around me. And I've already heard stories since that time of people who've really taken that to heart. There's, um, 
a woman I didn't even know listened online and found out from somebody that she cleans house for. And she told that person she, when she showed up that week after that, and she said, my work here is cleaning house. I'm a gardener. And I just thought, how cool is that? Um, yesterday, some young college guys came to, to our house to help take the chaos of my yard and all the fall leaves, and they came and helped uh, the old man uh, bring order to that and clean a lot of that up. And one of the guys said, you know what work we're doing by helping you with this? We're, we're gardening. So that's so cool that we take that. So I want us to keep that picture in our mind. Um, but I really want us to take a second metaphor that to me is even, that one's powerful, but this one to me is even more powerful. And I have been wanting to talk about this for a long time, and I'm so excited to bring the Word of God. So we're in Jeremiah 29. Follow along in your Bible with me. If you want to follow on the screen, I'm going to read this. Would you stand while I read it? We're in Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to read the first seven verses. A profound text of Scripture that I think speaks to us in our cultural setting, but speaks to us in our work. So in Jeremiah 29, this is what it says. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisas, son of Safan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Uh, don't you wish people back then were known as Fred and Bob and Joe? <clears throat> but this is my task, is to read those words. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. And so you may be seated. Let me just set up really quickly the context um, the Jewish people had, you know, Moses, God used Moses to set them free from their slavery and bondage in Egypt. They had wandered for 40 years. They came into the promised land. They'd been there about a thousand years, if we just rounded it off. And they had entered into a covenant on Mount Sinai of, of, that they would be obedient to the law. And they had agreed that if they were not obedient to the law, that God said, I will at some point send you away to another nation. You'll be carried away from your land. And for a thousand years, they did not faithfully follow him. And in 586, the Babylonians invaded, destroyed Jerusalem, killed a lot of the population, and carried some of the higher-ranking officials and more important people, I guess, they would have thought, back to Babylon. The arrows on here are the wrong direction. That's when they returned. But they carried them back to Babylon. Um, and so they're living there as, the word occurs five times in our text. They're living there as exiles, as exiles. These are exiles that he's writing to. And I think it's significant because the truth be told is we really are frankly no different than them. We're not in exile to a different country but do you not feel that we live in exile in our own culture? That we live in a postmodern culture where Christianity is no longer at the center and we've been pushed to the side 
right, and don't matter very much anymore, and continually feel are being pushed more and more out to the periphery. So we live in exile. So I think this letter not just spoke to them, but I think it really speaks profoundly um, to us. And so in the words of that great Christian thinker, Francis Schaeffer, who used to ask this all the time, how then should we live? The question was for them, and it's for us who live in exile in our own culture. How do we live in this kind of a culture? Um, in that context as exiles, how do we live? Do we give into it and we just fit into the culture? Is that what we do? Or do we separate from the culture? We pull ourselves away from it? Or do we fight against it and combat the culture? I would say the answer in this text is no to all of those. What they were to do, look at verse 5. What they were to do is they were to build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And then finally he says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So here's what God calls people in exile to in relation to their culture and their city. He called them and he calls us to seek the flourishing of those around us, to love our neighbor by serving our city, by advancing the common good of all people. That was his call to those people. And notice in verse 4, um, let me go back to that. In verse 4, it says that it was written to all who found themselves in exile. So what I'm talking about, this text applies to every one of us. Each and every person, it applies to us. And so like the Israelites in exile, like Jesus, our rabbi, and the way he lived in a culture in which he actually lived in exile in some form, we are to actively and positively engage our city. Actively and positively engage our city in the words of James, Davis, and Hunter to be um, living as a faithful presence. That's what we're called to, to live as a faithful presence. And we do this specifically in two ways. We pray for our city. And we pray for the places where we find ourselves. And we seek the peace and prosperity of our city and of our culture and of the place we find ourselves. <clears throat> Those words in the text, the peace and prosperity, uh, there's that quote from him, the peace and prosperity. In verse 7, you see those words, peace, prosperity, prospers, and prosper, if I remember right. It's one single word in Hebrew. The word occurs three times in verse 7. It's the Hebrew word shalom. We've all heard of that word shalom, right? Frequently, we translate it simply as the word peace. But I want you to know as much more than that. When it says in English, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, that's just one word in Hebrew. And shalom, that idea is so rich, you can't just translate it with one English word. It's like the Hebrew word chesed in the Old Testament, which you could just translate as love, but is frequently translated as faithful love or steadfast love or unconditional love because the word is too rich to put in one word in English. And that's what shalom is like. So I want to define this for you because this is setting up all that I want to talk about. Cornelius Platinga Jr. said of Shalom, he says, we call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace, as in peace of mind or ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom is this, it's a state of well-being. It's a place that's filled to the brim with the blessing of God, where absolute goodness permeates and prevails where everything is rightly ordered and rightly related, where everything is in perfect harmony, where everything is exactly as it should be. That's what 
the call is for us to seek for our city and our culture, is the shalom of God. And this word shalom is so significant in this text, and here's the reason why, because that word is actually an echo of Genesis 1 and 2. It's in the words of John Collins and Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. It's a hyperlink that if you click on it, it's taking you back to Genesis 1 and 2. We'll see in a minute. It's also taking us forward to new creation. Um, There's actually multiple echoes of Genesis 1 and 2 in this text. So we have the word shalom, which the Jewish people talked about all the time as that was the condition of the original creation. I I need your help. What are some echoes you see in verses 5, 6, and 7 that that he's calling them back to Genesis 1 and 2? Tell me a few things that you see. Words, phrases. Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, he says um, in verse 6, right? Have sons and daughters. Increase in number. That is referencing the cultural mandate of Genesis 1, 26 to 28, which I talked about for a couple of weeks. So that's referencing that. Where else do you see Genesis 1 and 2, an echo of it? Yeah, plant gardens. Okay? It's the principle in Scripture of interpretation. When you see a word, you ask the question, where's the first place it occurs? Because many times there's a very significant connection. And so this is actually giving us a hint of the great garden, the ultimate garden, the Garden of Eden. Okay, any others that you see? They get a little tougher, but one of them actually is in verse 6 where he says to Mary. That's a reference to back an echo of Genesis 2.25 where the man and woman... We're, we're naked and had no shame, and he said they're to separate from mother and father and be united into one flesh. So that marriage command is a reference to Genesis 2.25 in the garden. And then the other one is, is this city, Babylon. Um, the city, Babylon, is located, if I go backwards, I didn't do this first service. There's a reason. I have to go back a lot of things. Uh, Babylon was located in the Mesopotamia River Valley between two great rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates. In Genesis 2, guess where the garden was located? The Garden of Eden between the Tigris and Euphrates. So they were living in the place where the garden had at one time been. So all of this is echoes back to Genesis 1 and 2, and it's an echo of the larger story of the Bible. God's drawing their attention to a bigger story. Wendell Berry said this, the significance and ultimately the quality of the work we do is determined by our understanding of the story in which we're taking part. Um, sorry, that's, I need to go a little bit further. I, sh- I know I shouldn't have gone backwards to all that. The significant and ultimately the quality of the work we do, it is determined by our understanding of the story in which we're taking part. This understanding of God's story and fitting our work in it is really, really important. That's the case I want to make today. The, this text is pointing us to a larger story, this meta narrative that we as followers of Jesus are living inside of. And it does affect how we look at our work. So let me review the story of God. I've done this multiple times before, but it's so important I want to do it again. The drama of Scripture is in three acts. You start in Genesis 1 and 2 with God creating, and everything was exactly as He intended it to be. It was full of His shalom. Everything was rightly related. The man and woman were in relationship with Him, and they were created to reign and rule over all of creation. Everything was exactly how He wanted it, full of His shalom. And then comes Genesis 3. Satan enters the picture, tricks the man and woman. They sin, reject relationship with God, reject his reign over lives, and through that become separated from him. And everything in creation, everything becomes corrupted and spoiled and ruined. Paradise was lost. The creation became broken. And the shalom that was in that original creation is gone. Not totally, but to a large extent, the shalom of God is gone. And God could have left that alone 
thrown the whole thing away, but he didn't. He decided to do something, to be on mission, and that's the third act. And before I get to it, I want to reference three key New Testament scripture that tell us the mission of God. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said this to his followers, I tell you the truth at the renewal of how many things? Renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. So he's like, when I come back and I'm on my throne as king, at that time it will be the renewal of all things. In Acts 3.22, Peter says this, speaking of the time when Jesus would come, he says the time, this isn't an exact quotation, so you can listen to me more. The time will come when God will restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. God will restore how much? Everything. And in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, which says this, the God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him, the Messiah, to reconcile to himself, how many things? All things, whether things on heaven or earth. This is the mission of God. I quoted Abraham Kuyper a few weeks ago, where Abraham Kuyper says that Jesus says that every square inch of creation, it's mine, right? Every square inch, and he wants every square inch of it back. He's going to renew all things. He's going to restore everything. He's going to reconcile to himself all things. So that concluding act of the drama of Scripture is restoration. Right now it's partial. Jesus has started his kingdom coming. It will be final when he returns. But God is restoring all of his good creation back to its original design. And again, it will, at that time, it will be full of his shalom. He will once again fill it with his shalom. I just found this quote this week. Jonathan Edwards said this, God's design was to perfectly restore all the ruins of the fall by his son and to create a new heaven and earth. That's the mission of God. And we know the centerpiece of that mission is to restore back to himself his lost children, people who don't know him. That's the centerpiece. But he wants it all. He wants all of it. That's the story that he's referencing in Jeremiah 29 when he's giving them echoes of Genesis 1 and 2 and the Jewish people knew where it was going. So he's calling them into that larger story of reconciliation. And that is why he says, that shalom of Eden, you bring it to the city in which you live. That peace and prosperity, you seek that shalom. What's really cool is Babylon was known as the city of gardens. In fact, it was the seven, one of the seven ancient wonders of the ancient world because the gardens were so beautiful there. And so here's what God is doing in this text. He's saying, you live in a garden city, and here's my call to you is you bring the ultimate garden, the Garden of Eden, into the city where I have put you. And I really believe knowing this narrative arc of Scripture, it informs us and has a lot to do with how we look at our work in light of that whole story. Each and every one of us is called to be on mission with God. We all are. That is why our mission and vision of 12th is this. We say it every Sunday morning, to become a biblical community of kingdom people. We want to become a biblical community of kingdom people, not just for us. We want to be joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. That's what we're about because that's what God is about. And one of the main ways we can join him in our mission is through our work, living out this mission in our work and through our work because God is restoring all things, and I can contribute to that restoration project through my workplace. So I want you to know you have an integral part in God's redemptive mission, all of us, in our work. I mean, in every area of our life, but in our work, we have a part. He's called us to participate, to be active participants, to be His redemptive agents. The call for them and for us is to be shalom bringers. 
And the word that to me is most important I want you to remember today is that we all would join him on his work of restoration and that would make us to be, what's the word up there? Restores, that we would all be restorers. People restoring God's goodness and beauty and truth back into a broken creation. People who are seeking to join God in the renewal and restoration of all things. That that's our calling, is that we're seeking that. If you think of creation as a tapestry, God in the, in the beginning created the whole creation with this, this integrity to it. It was all one and it was all whole, full of his shalom, um, exactly how he wanted it to be. But sin came in to that creation and it has torn it and rent the very fabric of it, unraveling the very fabric of the entire created order. And God's mission is to reweave the fabric of creation. And we can join him in that by finding the torn places where we live and where we work and the neighborhoods we're in and our families and to be joining God in that reweaving of the fabric, trying to fix whatever is torn around us. The Jewish people had a word for this mission and this task of God. They called it tikkun olam. Can you say that with me? Tikkun olam, which means the mending or the healing of the world. This is what they believed was the mission of God and the mission they were joining him on. And I want you to know that wasn't just the Jewish people's mission, that's our mission as followers of Jesus. That just as these people in exile were called to bring Eden to Babylon, we also are to bring Eden to the places we inhabit, the places we live and the places we work. To in the words of Jesus, we long and we strive to see it on earth as it is in heaven. In Emporia, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my workplace, as it is in heaven. That that's the thing that we're striving for. We live as restorers. We're gardeners, trying to bring order to chaos, but we're restorers, trying to bring back the shalom of God. I want to give you a few examples of this. Um, the first is Chip and Joanna Gaines. Um, do you remember a few weeks ago I talked about in Genesis 3.17 that after the fall our work becomes thorns and thistles and broken and all of that, Right? This is a really good example of that because I know her name's Joanna, but I put Joanne on the slide. All the women in first service, a lot of them noticed it, and I kept hearing, that's not what her name, how her name is spelled. They weren't complaining. But, and then they didn't listen the whole rest of the time because they were so focused on that. So I wanted to correct that. Um, they had the TV show, Fixer Upper. How many of you saw that show, like that show? You're fans of the games. Um, Magnolia is kind of their overarching thing now. They've got Magnolia Place. Um, when... Pat and I and the family used to go out of town on trips. We'd go stay in a hotel. And the hotel always had like real cable, thousand channels, right? We only had five or something. So in the mornings as we were getting ready, we'd always have something on uh, the TV. And since it's Pat, Carissa, Ariel, and Garen, Kieran, three females and two guys, guess what was always on? Fixer Upper, TLC was always on. We wanted ESPN, but this is what would be on. But it was fun to watch because there's something in us that loves seeing people take something broken and make it more beautiful. Is that not right? So even we enjoyed watching it. I went to Waco two years ago and was at a conference with Brent McCory. And we were, it was in a church. And right catty corner of that church was Magnolia Place, which is so cool. And so Brent and I decided we'd go visit somewhere significant in Waco. So we went to the the Dr. Pepper Museum. <laughs> we didn't go to a Magnolia place. And the back, Dr. Pepper Museum was really awesome. And in there, they had a room that was like a hall of fame of great people from Waco who've made an impact. And they had a display 
for Chip and Joanna Gaines. And in that display, they mentioned the mission, the dream of Chip and Joanna Gaines. And I was so struck by it because it's what God calls us to. They're believers, by the way, if you don't know that. They follow Jesus. And they totally get what God's doing in the world. Here is their mission. Making Waco beautiful one home at a time. Is that not cool? Taking the places in Waco where there's broken houses and all of that and taking their skills and leveraging it, um, we're going to make one house beautiful in Waco, one, one home at a time. And in doing hundreds of houses, they're bringing greater levels of shalom and restoration to that city. Um, another, seeking the peace and prosperity of Waco. I just think it's so cool. Another example, Kevin James. Not the actor. I didn't know there was an actor named Kevin James. I found out after first service. Kevin James, who's been a deacon here and who attends. Um, he was talking about one of his workspaces that he was at at one time, and that in his division or his area, there was a guy every day would come in and just would just negative about everything, running things down, negative attitude, and he said it would set the tone for the whole day in that workspace. And he decided that he needed to do something about that. So he would come and show up at work, and before anybody else talked, he would bring a Bible verse that he'd have printed out, and he would say the Bible verse and stick it up on the wall. And he said when he did that, he said the guy quit saying his negative things, and he said it changed the mood of the whole place. Because, see, Kevin was bringing, being a shalom bringer to his, act, to his place of work. Tim writes another example. Um, Tim created the STAR program. Um, it stood for Sharing Talents and Resources. Because Tim had the conviction that as a follower of Jesus, he needed to leverage his skills and abilities to bless the city, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. So in his STAR program, among other things, he would have books when you were going, if you're going to write CPA, they're still there. He would have books that were there on how to, um, some Christian authors on how to do your finance. He would have books on apologetics, you know, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. He'd have books on faith, like Lee Strobel's um, the, the, the case for faith or the case for Jesus, case for the resurrection for people. They would do pro bono work for individuals who could not afford their services, but their taxes were so complex that they needed the extra help. Um, they started doing free or reduced fee services for a lot of the nonprofits in the city who needed accounting but who couldn't afford it because of their, you know, if you're a nonprofit, you don't tend to, to have a lot of profit a lot of times, right? Um, and not only that, he tried to get a movement going into Emporia. He knew a lot of businessmen and was challenging a lot of them to do this same kind of thing. There was a fellow who was an automotive mechanic, and he said, why don't you offer, like, once, you know, several times a month, offer some free oil changes to families or people who just don't have the resources to do it. And the guy started doing it. And his program became so known that other businessmen would call him, would come by, and would ask him help in them setting up something similar. Because Tim was about seeking the peace and prosperity, the shalom of the city of Emporia. He was seeking to bring some of Eden into where we are. Isn't that not cool? So those are some examples. I want to get even more practical on this idea of being a restorer, where I live and where I work. Um, when I first did the story of God, that was like a long time ago. To me, it feels like a long time ago, three and a half years ago. I talked about the four relationships when God created. There's my relationship to God. There's my relationship to other people. There's my relationship to myself. And there's my relationship to nature, to the physical creation. So there's the spiritual, the social, the emotional, the physical. That we all deal with these four relationships. 
And then when God created in Genesis 1 and 2, all of those relationships were the, full of the shalom of God, rightly ordered, rightly related. There were no problems in any of those relationships. But when sin came, it corrupted and broke all of those relationships. We experience it daily, do we not? Physical ailments, you know, Pat and I have been struggling with cold for two and a half weeks. Um, I mean, worse things than that, that people get physically um, broken relationships. I'm broken internally. Um, and one of the words of the song, one of the songs was talking about the war within myself. Do you not experience that? Right? That's post-creation, how we don't relate to creation well. And the God is wanting to fix all that. So I want you to think in your workspaces or in all of your life, in those four terms, those four relational terms, in all four of those, in the spiritual, the social, the emotional, and the physical. And again, I want to emphasize this is not just about a nine-to-five job. This is all of my life. We all have families with these four relationships, right? We all have families. We all have neighborhoods. We work places. We're stay-at-home moms. We're students on campus, whatever it is. We can all think about being a restorer where we are in these four areas. So let me talk about each of those for a minute. You know, as followers of Jesus, we long and pray for our colleagues and those around us to come to know the Father through Jesus Christ. Is that not right? We long for them to be restored to Him. So we ask in relation to our work questions like this. Who does not have an intimate relationship with Jesus? And Father, is there any way you can help me to move them closer to you? Can you open a door? Can you do something, start a conversation that I can help move them towards you? We ask those kind of questions. Or we ask this. We know people in our workspaces, our areas of influence, who know Jesus. And we ask, Lord, how can I be an encourager, a supporter, somebody that spurs the people who love you, who will work with me or are around me, to, to love and good deeds? How can I do that with them? We also long for these horizontal relationships with people to be made right. So we ask the question in our spaces, where do I see broken relationships around me? And how can I, in the words of Jesus, be a peacemaker who attempts to bring restoration to those? We also long for the people we work with to be a well um, emotionally in their emotional well-being, right? And so we ask the question, we have eyes, where do I see people around me who are struggling with their mental or emotional health? And Lord, how can I come alongside them and be somebody you use to help to bring some wholeness to them? And then we long for people physically because we all know people in our workspaces, people in our lives around us who are struggling with illness or an injury, some kind of debilitating, something debilitating. And we simply ask the Lord, how can I be somebody who helps that person in that area of their physical ailment, whatever they're dealing with? I also, in regard to the physical, I think we ask this. Because some of us maybe are in workspaces, I just don't know, but where some of the practices are not really good for creation, which God created and he loves. And remember, the man and woman were not only avad it, work it, they were to shamar it, they were to tend it and care for it. Like, is there a play, way that my work's not really caring for creation? And is there a way I can, like, step up to that and get us to do things to more create, care for the creation God has made? Now, here's why all this is so important. Being a restorer everywhere I am, seeking to be a shalom bringer in all four of those areas, whatever place I find myself, here's why it's so important. Back to the story, because we are a people of a story. Do you know that? We're anchored to the past, to Eden. We are tethered to the future, to coming new creation. But we live in the present. We live in the present. 
We live in the midst of the is of the broken world right now. But we have in our vision and we keep in mind the should be of Eden, how things should be. Even if people don't believe in that Eden story, there's a deep human longing for things shouldn't be the way they are, right? They should be, right? It's a longing for Eden. And it's also a longing for new creation of what will be, okay? We live in this is. And so in this present moment, in the is, we live as restorers, as shalom bringers in those places God has put us. And in those places, we embody and we advance kingdom values, kingdom values, with the intent of being signposts that point people back to Eden and of being a foretaste of God's coming kingdom and new creation when Jesus is in charge again. We want to be a signpost pointing to Eden. We want to be a foretaste of the world to come. And in that world to come and new creation, here's what Zechariah 1.11 says about the new creation. At that time, they will report, we have gone throughout the earth, and we have found the whole world is at rest, and it's full of shalom. It's full of shalom. Is that not good? Do you not long for that day, Lord Jesus? Can you come? In the midst of this is, in the words of John Mark Homer, he said this, we work in the present world right in the middle of all the chaos, the entropy, the suffering, the pain, giving a glimpse of the future world. We are to be a foretaste of the world to come to people around us. In our work, wherever we are, people should taste in us something different that's a foretaste. And this idea of being a foretaste, to me, is really important. It's part of the story. Being a signpost, being a foretaste. How many here are fans of Baskin-Robbins? Any Baskin-Robbins fans here? I, you can probably tell how old we are by if we like Baskin-Robbins because in this area, Brahms is kind of the thing, right? But when I was a kid, when we would travel and go out of town, any time we went to a town, if it had a Baskin-Robbins, my dad found it. There was no internet and cell phones back then, okay? I think he must have gone to the local library, found, found uh, the old, what do you call those things? Um, Phone books, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Found a phone book and he looked up ice cream and found out where they were because everywhere he went, he'd be and he would we'd be driving and he'd be like, I smell something, and we knew where he was going and we'd get all excited. I didn't care if we were going to Disney World or what we were doing. Baskin Robbins was the highlight of the trip for us wherever we went. I wanted you to know there was nothing like their Jamocha ice cream. Nothing like it. It was a child's way of secretly getting coffee caffeine without their parents knowing it. That's why I'd be wired for the next three hours <laughs> after ice cream and caffeine. Um, or their bubblegum ice cream. I mean, who didn't love their bubblegum ice cream? You t- eat that ice cream, not good, huh? Oh, I loved it. And, you know, you suck the ice cream off and you keep the little bubblegum pieces. And back then in our cars, you know, now they have cup holders. Back then it was the little thing like where you'd, when you smoked, you did your ashes. Nobody smoked in our car, so that was clean. But I'd stuff my, my little bubblegum pieces in there for later. And sometimes three months later, my mom would find it, and there would be no shalom in my life on that day. <laughs> or on the trip, I'd remember, and I'd get it out, and I'd chew the gum. So I love the bubble gum, but the best of all was baseball nut. Anybody here ever have baseball nut? They still sell it. It's the most amazing ice cream. But besides the ice cream, there was one more thing I loved about Baskin-Robbins, and it was the little pink spoons, right? The little pink spoons, because you would go in there, And every time you went in, they would have a flavor of the month. I mean, I grew up in small town Kansas. We didn't have the flavor of month of anything, right? But Baskin-Robbins had it. And so you'd go in there, and you'd always get a scoop of the flavor of the month to to get a foretaste to see if that's what you wanted. 
And then, like all good kids, you'd get a taste of 20 other kinds of ice cream <laughs> before you got the one that you really wanted. Um, but this spoon, what this represented, it was a way of them giving a foretaste. Um, when they came up with this idea, they were the first company that did this with ice cream. Their sales increased five times by this. Isn't that cool? So I was looking for pink spoons because I wanted to give you guys a reminder of the fact that you, we are a foretaste of the kingdom. You know that? We're like these pink spoons. In my attitudes, in my behavior, in my values, I need to be giving a people a taste of the kingdom to come, a shalom bringer or a store. This is kind of what we are. I couldn't find any. I think they have a monopoly on pink spoons. Trust me, I looked everywhere. Um, but I found white ones, just like they have at Brahms. And so what I would like you to do, I want to ask you, is on your way out, grab one of these and keep it somewhere significant. Maybe show up at work tomorrow, wave it around, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm a foretaste of new creation, you know. <laughs> now, you don't want to do that, but put it somewhere significant. In my car, I've got this place in, in my pickup truck where I put some things related to prayer, things that are important. I'll stick one of these probably there. Put one on your desk just as a daily reminder that I'm called to be a restorer, a shalom bringer, that I am called to give people a... a I'm to be a signpost to Eden and give them a, a foretaste of new creation. That when they come into my workspace, they have a sense of the shalom of God, Lana. I say that because you do that. A foretaste of new creation. So, 12th, your work matters. I want you to know that your work matters. Because all work is about joining God on his mission of restoring all things. So everything we do, it matters. At its most fundamental level, all of our work is about bringing increasing levels of order, gardening, and shalom to the places where God has put us. That we're gardeners and we're restorers. And I really want you to wake up every Monday. Because the truth is a Sunday is from Monday. Sunday's not for Sunday. Sunday's for Monday. You wake up every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, every Friday, every Saturday, and say to yourself, today I can have a kingdom impact. I can be a restorer. I can be a shalom bringer somewhere in a place that you have put me. Because we are redemptive agents in God's kingdom, right? We're redemptive agents. We're shalom bringers. We're restorers. Okay, where I was going with that. I do want to remind us of one thing. In all of this, let us remember that we live as restorers, that we have to be realists. A few weeks back, when we were looking at work, we looked at Genesis 3 and the impact that the fall had on work. So we don't forget Genesis 3:17, that work right now has thorns and thistles, that not everything I try to do will bear fruit, that things won't happen exactly as I intend and there will be frustration, Right? that that's the reality. We live post-fall. Um, and I want to tell you, since I've done that, did that sermon, I've thought a lot about that. And I've thought a lot about the things in my life that don't quite happen how I want. I have good intentions. And it's actually helped me to realize, yep, I'm living in the fall. And that's okay. Not everything is going to happen or, or come out exactly how I want it. But I'd still try. Right? That's actually been very helpful. So what this means is that we live after Genesis 3.17 is, is we're not going to get everything right. And we're not going to make everything right. Only Jesus, when he returns, will be able to do that. We, only, we live in this time between the times where restoration is partial. It will only be complete when Jesus comes back. So I don't expect that I'm going to be able to fix everything around me. Right, But it doesn't mean I don't try to live as a restorer. 
towards the end of the book of Isaiah, which some text that was written to these exiles. Here's what he said of them when they eventually would return to the land. In Isaiah 61.4, he said, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. And in Isaiah 58.12, he says, you will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. May we be people who are restorer of ruins and broken places. May we be people who are called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. May we be known as that kind of people. So, I have a few questions for you to think about. We all have areas of influence, right? All of us. Our nine-to-five job, but our homes, I mean, all of us have areas of influence. And those are the places God has called us to be a restorer, right? One person, one place at a time. I'm not responsible for your work or your place. You are. I've got my own. So here's the questions I want you to think about as a restorer. Number one, in what areas of my life has God given me influence? Take half a minute. Think about that. What are the areas of your life where God has given you influence? Where do you find yourself? What places? And then how can I be a shalom bringer, a restorer in those areas of influence? Specifically think of those four areas. Who or what do I know in the areas I have influence? Where do I see brokenness spiritually, socially, emotionally, physically? And think that through. It's a good assignment for the day. It's a good assignment. I mean, tomorrow you're going to be at work, but to think through. Where do I have influence? How can I be a restorer specifically in those four areas? Okay, I've got one more week left in the series, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish it up by giving you another metaphor, another, some, another way to think about your work from Scripture that I think is even going to make this more practical. It'll be, as you think of your work, not only as, bringing, as a gardener, bringing order to chaos, but as a restorer, bringing in the shalom of God, being on mission with Him. But let's get even more specific. How can I be restored in those four areas? And I want to give you some word pictures from Scripture that I think will help you, even in those four areas, to think of ways that you can be a restorer and be at work with God. So, come back next week. Grab a spoon on your way out, okay? Get one of these. Somebody first service said, what I should have done to make sure people grabbed one is I should have had some Brahms ice cream back there, and that way you'd have to get a scoop, and then you'd be forced to take it with you. But grab a spoon as a reminder. But 12th, may we be known as shalom bringers to the places we inhabit. May we be known as shalom bringers. May we be people who are known in this community, that we live for the peace and prosperity of this city, and that we're restorers wherever we are, that we're people who are seeking restoration. May we be known as that kind of people. And may we, all of us, be a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God when everything will finally be made right. May we seek to be a foretaste of him. May we be that kind of people. Would you stand? I'd like to pray. Lord Jesus, you are the prince of peace. You are the the Prince of Shalom, you came for that. We're told that of your government and of your shalom that you bring, there will be no end. And so we come to you knowing that your mission is to restore all things and all people back to yourself. That's your deep desire, and we want to join you in that. So, Lord, may we feel deeply in our gut um, 
May we feel this call to be a part of your mission, a part of what you're doing. Um, Lord, let us be moved. Let us be people who are redemptive agents for you, bringing shalom and bringing restoration in all the places we touch, never perfectly. So we're utterly dependent upon you and your spirit in this task. And knowing that it won't be done till you return, but Lord, our heart's cry is, come Lord Jesus. We so long for you to come and fix this broken creation, to mend it and make it what you want it to be. But Lord, please send us as your people. And I pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, amen. And God's people said, all right, 12th, you are sent to be restorers, sent to be foretaste of the coming kingdom of God. So grab a spoon on the way out.